0: time that I'll be inside I'll be portraying something that I'm not
1: This is Zack a marine who wants to be a DEA agent
0: He's going to jail for 60 days to see what life is like undercover. My goal is to get as much knowledge as I can.
1: Zach quickly earns the trust of his fellow inmates. Maybe too quickly. Zach's a little scary how well he's transformed to a standard inmate. Gang
0: activity drugs. We need to get to the sheriff. Weapons hidden in the pod.
1: we got to get those shanks out of there now. Zach proves the sheriff's program works and leaves the jail a safer place. Zach's information was right on. Mission accomplished. Hey folks, thanks for checking out the Wait What If podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Sullivan. Tonight we got a really cool story. What if you were locked away in jail for 60 days, but were innocent? Well, tonight's guest, Zach Baker, did just that. He actually volunteered to do it for Clark County, Indiana. And to add another twist to the whole ordeal, it was broadcast on TV on a es 60 Days In. Zach's a real interesting guy. He's a Marine Corps veteran, Afghanistan veteran. We had a great discussion. I think you'll enjoy the show. Be sure to check out my website, waitwhatif.com. There you'll find bios. we got the Wait what If store, Wait What If blog, uh, a bunch of stuff on there that I try to put together for the time in between the shows. If you have any show suggestions or want to be on the show yourself, shoot me an email at kevin at waitwhatif.com. That's kevin at waitwhatif.com. Hope you enjoy the show. Listening to the Wait What If
2: podcast. Uh, we're not,
0: we're not the <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, growing up, you know, I guess it's always best to start at the beginning. I was born to a very conservative family. My my father was a minister, and my mother actually worked for the criminal investigation division for the state of Tennessee. While I was growing up, she was um, she started out actually as a driver's license examiner, mm-hmm. and, and went over to uh, criminal investigation division. She actually worked for the Tennessee Highway Patrol criminal investigation division. That's kind of where it started. My grandfather was Tennessee Highway Patrol for 25 years. He was a county Sheriff for a couple of years, and he was a local p d for a couple of years so it's definitely in my blood to be in law enforcement, sure and not only to to be helping other people because i mean um my my extended family the majority of the men in my family are um ministers actually, which is kind of funny because I am not leaning that that direction. <laughs> I've always had the desire to lead, Mm -hmm. you know, ministers lead, Mm
2: -hmm. but
0: I also have a bit of an aggressive, not aggressive, um, a bit of a warrior mentality Okay. as opposed to being able to turn the other cheek. I prefer to strike back. Mm -hmm. So, um, not, not aggressive. Just, I tend to want to physically defend those who can't physically defend themselves as a general rule and, and try to help others. And that's kind of how I was raised. You, you see that generally in families that, um, you know, that protective nature tends to be ingrained in the genetics of the family, not just in individuals in the family. Um, with my family, it might have skipped a generation because my, my like I said, my dad was a minister. Mm-hmm. But my mom, you know, she worked for the Criminal Investigation Division. My brother and I both joined the military. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side was in the Army in World War II, and then he became Law enforcement career and president of the Tennessee Association of Rescue squads and all sorts of different things I mean that history of service was passed down definitely by my family i originally I had gone to college to be a veterinarian uh, because you know growing up I was always I always loved animals, but it's funny when i was so I graduated high school when I was seventeen and had actually been talking to a recruiter. After I took the ASVAB, I think I got a 98 on the ASVAB when I graduated high school.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so I was talking to an Army recruiter, had everything ready to go, just waiting on my mom to sign. And my mom, because we were obviously at war at the time. It was in 2003, so just a couple years after the Twin Towers and everything else had mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. And the, it was at the at the height of the uh, the Iraqi war at that time. And, you know, right around the time of Fallujah and all that. And my mom said, no, you're, you're not going. you got money for school. You're going to go to the University of Tennessee. You're going to go to college like you had originally planned. And I'm not going to sign for you. So I went ahead and went off to the University of Tennessee and did that for four years and was just kind of bouncing around. Didn't have a whole lot of direction. I didn't graduate in four years. Uh, and I was working full time while I was in school. And I just kept coming back to, you know, the military is something that I always looked at, something that I always considered, but I never did it. I think I'm going to go ahead and talk to them again. And this is I was 23. I went in, took the as of I got a 99 that time. Um, They said, you have any job available you want. And then they found out I was colorblind and they said, you have like four jobs available. And I said, whatever I can do that gets me uh, to blow things up. That's what I want to do that's always fascinated me. So I became a combat engineer. I signed up, went to boot camp and checked into my reserve unit, actually September 11th. is when I checked into my reserve unit, September 11th, 2009. Uh, the weekend I checked in, they said, hey, um, we're going to Afghanistan. Do you want to go? And I said, was that an asking or a telling? And they said, well, we're asking you before we tell you. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I figured. But yeah, I'm, I'm 100% I might as well go now when it's fresh in my mind instead of waiting a year mm-hmm. before. Uh, I deployed Afghanistan in 2009 or 2010, actually. Um, we were in Southern Humber Province, which at the time was the deadliest place on Earth. in um, the second deadliest MOS in the Marine Corps was combat engineers behind EOD. Um, and we had... A significant uh, IED footprint in the southern Helmand Valley, where we were, and we did a really good job. Our unit did a really good job of mitigating the IED threat there, and enabling the coalition forces to take over that southern area, um, somewhere that they'd never even been before. And we were able to go in and take it over with uh, significantly fewer casualties than were expected in. In large part, due to the efforts of our engineer unit as a whole, the issue that i've found with the civilian world outside of law enforcement i 'm looking for something that gives me a purpose that that, that makes me feel like i 'm actually doing something to change the world mm-hmm. and with the Marine Corps, I felt that way. I felt like I was actually serving a purpose um, with law enforcement i feel like I'm, I feel like i 'd be serving a purpose um, since i 'm having a bit of a struggle. Getting into law enforcement right now, in in large part due to the fact that I am colorblind, uh, that's that's actually been a disqualifier for me on four separate occasions where I had a job offer in hand. All I had to do was pass the medical and pass the color vision portion, and I couldn't pass the color vision portion. Uh. And I've talked to several guys on different departments who say, dude, I'm colorblind. I just faked the test and made it on the department. And, you know, that's okay for them maybe, but in my mind, why would I lie to get a job where I'm sworn to uphold the truth? Yeah, Like, it doesn't make sense to me. So, to to steal from a a famous group, you have to kind of take life on life's terms.
1: Zach's law enforcement career had a bit of a hiccup. He had it all planned out, and then everything came crashing down. Zach always keeps the mentality that, just because something seems bad, that doesn't mean it's not an opportunity.
0: We were kind of just basically treading water there in Knoxville looking for the next thing. And I, the job that I had was seasonal. It was I was actually a restaurant manager. So I was just looking for, just picking up extra work over the course of the summer. I was working as a, uh, a security at bars or bouncer at bars there in town and doing just a little odds and ends. And there was a post on Craigslist for extras and it was basically no experience necessary you paid cash the day you work come in to be an extra so i went and applied and they needed somebody that looked like they'd been in the military and i was like well that's funny because i actually was in the military so i'll be perfect for that role i did that one time that was the only the only involvement i'd ever had with being on tv or being an actor or anything like that And it wasn't something i sought out through that i got contacted by the production company that did the, uh, the, the jail experiment and they said, Hey, and well, so I, I jumped myself a little bit. Um, we moved out to the Vegas area and that's when I started looking into law enforcement because law enforcement out right here, um, makes about double what I would have made as a law enforcement officer in Tennessee. And it was just, we knew the opportunity was here in Vegas. We just didn't know exactly what it was going to be.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so then I applied for uh, Nevada Highway Patrol uh, about 18 months later, or well, I think it was a total of 16 months from the time I applied into the time I showed up at the academy. But I finally got my letter, passed all the medical and everything, um, was able to pass their color vision test. So I wound up the police academy, went through that, graduated, went to my duty station. I was still serving the Marine Reserves at the time and had to do my annual training. Uh, back here in Vegas, because my duty station was about eight hours away from Las Vegas. And when I came down to do that, Ashley came with me, and we're staying at the hotel that the Marine Corps had chosen, which is right next to the Air Force Base here in town, which is my reserve unit in Vegas, was on the Air Force Base. Okay. The hotel there next to base, I don't know if you've ever been to hotels right outside of base, right outside of the gates. Oh, yeah.
1: But yeah, yeah, yeah. They're
0: usually. <laughs> Usually not the best uh not in the best environment, not, not the greatest uh clientele. Right, right. The people that were staying at in the room next to ours were dealing drugs out of their hotel room. Mm-hmm. Um and I was you know, doing training and working, and I was gone for work one night and Ashley was back at the hotel by herself and I had my duty weapon there in the hotel, in the safe, but she obviously had Access to the safe because she was staying there too. She had some of her valuables in that safe as well, and she got scared, pulled my duty weapon out, and had an accidental discharge, and wound up losing my job because my gun, my responsibility. Whoa! There's no fault of her. Yeah. It's just, it is what it is. It was just a sheer accident. The, the, at the time, seemed to be an unfortunate circumstance, but in the long run, looking at it, you know. What you said about the little things that affect our whole lives. Um, without that, Ashley and I would have never, you know, our, our whole lives would be completely different if that hadn't happened. And the biggest thing I think about is I wouldn't have, I don't believe that either of my sons would have been born if I was still with Highway Patrol. Or not necessarily not born. But they wouldn't have been born the way they were born. They wouldn't have been born at the times they were born. Oh sure, yeah. And our lives wouldn't have moved along at the same, you know, at the same rate. So
1: yeah, if you have definitely
0: some, something that we look at. If you have a blessing in a sky.
1: If you have yeah. kids like a month earlier, they're they're totally different people. You know, it has exactly. to be <laughs> those two exact cells are the only ones that make that one kid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 crazy.
0: So that's kind of the 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 run of of where, how I ended up where I am now.
1: Zach also went to jail as an undercover informant. It's kind of the reason why he came on the show. How does this get approved and what sheriff would want that sort of scrutiny on his county? Did the production crew come to the sheriff or did the sheriff reach out to the production crew?
0: It was actually kind of a uh, concurrent, separate situation. Mm-hmm. And they just happened to connect.
1: Okay, uh,
0: The sheriff took over the jail there um, from the previous sheriff who was, I think two terms. And that previous sheriff is now in a federal prison for racketeering, <laughs> prostitution ring and running drugs out of his jail and, and you know, several other charges.
1: So, um, so he just inherited was, a, a shit show. It sounds like.
0: Yeah. The, the new sheriff inherited a, a nightmare. Okay. And, he had actually been looking for um, DEA agents or, or, or any type of agents that he could get, whoever, not necessarily DEA, but you know, whoever he could get in law enforcement to go undercover in his jail to kind of help him weed out who was doing what, because he knew that he had some crooked uh, COs still and some inmates that were in relationships with COs or had... Uh, deals running with CEOs or whatever. So he was trying to weed those out, but the most he could get out of anybody was, I'll agree to go in jail for a weekend. And he said, well, that's not enough time to really learn the depth of everything that I'm trying to learn. And then he was looking around for an option and got contacted saying, hey, we have an idea for something. We're looking at your facility as a possible location. And he said, well, you picked the perfect person for this because I've been looking for people and this solves both of our problems.
1: When you watch the show, there are characters in both the inmates and the corrections officer. How much of that was real and how much of that was editing to make a compelling story?
0: Some of that was editing. Mm -hmm. Some of that was factual. You know, I mean, and and that's, you'll find that I think in any correctional facility throughout the U.S., 90% of the time, the inmates are the ones who actually run the, the, the facility. I mean, even – so some of, the, some of the guys that I was in the police academy with had been correctional officers before they came to the uh, police academy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of them actually told me, he said, my first shift as a CO, I walked in and walked to my unit where I was supposed to be checking in. And the guys that I was relieving were standing there said hey you you coming on shift and i said yeah uh, that's my first day i said okay here here's your keys and walked out the door
1: oh man
0: i'm stuck in a room and four trustees come out who are inmates obviously because they're trustees they walk out and they're like hey what's up me said <laughs> i was freaking out and i'm gonna get jumped by four guys because i had no weapons on me and they said look don't worry about it we'll take care of you And they basically taught him how how to do, they're like, look, this is what you do next. So the inmates were teaching him what to do. And this was in a, not in that, not in the county that I was in jail in, it's a totally different county, but I mean, I think you would find rampant in the, you know, the criminal justice system in America in several different correctional facilities that that's the case all too often is the inmates (laughs) determine what happens in the jail, whether overtly or behind the scenes they for all intents and purposes run the the jail wow
1: so so your experience in the jail they they basically fake arrested you and not not too many people knew what was going on right cuz he wanted to see how the the COs were doing he wanted to see basically correct. how the whole system was running
0: correct he had he had uh, one trusted ceo who was actually in a leadership level Mm -hmm. that was able to help slide us through um that he trusted implicitly beyond the shadow of doubt knew that he was good to go not going to do anything and wasn't crooked and all that and that was the only people that knew the rest of the ceos and inmates i was just another guy who got arrested
1: did did that take looking at your background and how you wanted? to to go into law enforcement, you know, and that, that seems to be a passion of yours. Did you have to swallow a lot of pride to say, okay, uh, you know, I, I'm going to be this criminal. I mean, pretty much everyone I'm interacting with from this point on, uh, it sees me as a criminal. So that's where I'm going to be.
0: It was definitely an interesting situation for me. Cause I've never been that guy. Yeah. I've never been, uh, you know, I've, I've always been clean-cut, clean-shaven. Um, always been looked at as a model citizen, I guess. Um, you know, military veteran, uh, serving on the right side of the law, so on and so forth. And then I walk into the jail, and I'm being looked at by other inmates as just another new inmate. Being looked at by the C.O.s as some scum what'd you get locked up for? I don't want to hear about it. I don't care. doesn't matter to me. Put this on. And just kind of, you, you, it it, it was definitely a rude awakening for me. It was something that I was not expecting. Yeah. But as far as being a tough pill to swallow, it was, but at the same time, my my mentality behind it was
2: who better
0: to try to enforce the laws and, and enact change and help people not repeat the same mistakes than someone who has actually seen the effects of it and seen the results firsthand themselves. You know, a lot of people can say, hey, look, you don't want to go to jail or you don't want to do this, you don't want to do that because it will end you up in a bad place. Not many of them can say, hey, you don't want to do this because I know exactly where you're going to go and I've been there and I've experienced it myself and it's not somewhere you want to be. So I was looking at it from a point of trying to help fix the system from within and trying to make myself an invaluable asset to criminal justice as a whole. Right. It, it w- was my goal.
1: So all I know about prison is from that locked-up TV show and from movies. So I'm terrified of it. Is it is it like that in real life?
0: So to start off, I um, just wanted to clarify one major point. Um, jail and prison are two totally separate entities. They are... They're both forms of incarceration. Jail is everybody. Everybody's in jail at one point in their uh, incarcerated career. Mm -hmm. Um, The people that get sentenced and actually go to prison, there's a totally different mentality and mindset in prison because in prison, you know how long you're going to be there. You know, I mean, you have your sentence. You know what's happening. Uh, in jail, there's still a possibility that you might not get convicted and you might get set free. So the mentality in jail, and I actually talking to several of the inmates that had done time in prison and then were back in jail for another charge or whatever, they said, you know, jail is way wilder than prison ever will be because prison, you want everything to be smooth. The smoother your time goes, the quicker your time goes. Mm -hmm. In jail, all these young kids who are in and out, in and out, in and out, and they don't care. You got the guys we were in for the weekend for a DUI and they're just there to wild and out and looking for the next high and ready to go back on the streets and get the next hit. And it's, it's a totally different mentality. So there's a lot from from what I heard. There's jail is a lot rowdier than prison, not necessarily more dangerous, um, more active as far as violence goes. In jail than in prison, but the violence in prison is more drastic. In jail, you might have a, like five fist fights in the same week, whereas in jail you have one stabbing in a month. But that stabbing killed a guy, put him in the hospital for several weeks. So there's the first uh, first thing I would I would address mm-hmm. um, as far as how did how was jail according to what I expected it to be. Honestly, jail was softer than I expected it to be and easier than I expected it to be. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with my uh, Marine background. Um, having, you know, having served in the military yourself, you know that in the military, you're, you're a number, you're treated like a number. And it was basically more of the same in jail. Um, Only, I I would actually venture to say, and and having talked to other people who were involved in the same experience that I was that are Marines themselves, um, they said 100% jail was easier to deal with, an easier time than uh, Marine Corps boot camp. You didn't have any free time whatsoever in Marine Corps boot camp. You are someone else, you belong to someone else. 24 7 whereas in jail you have free time quite often it's just i mean you're stuck in a cell or stuck in a pod or stuck in a room but your time is your own to do with what you will you can read books you can watch tv you can play cards whatever you choose to do but you you, you still have some say in what you're doing whereas in the military, you don't have a say. You do what you're told.
1: What's the gang situation like in prison? You see on TV and movies that once you get locked up, you have to affiliate with one side or the other. Did you encounter any of that?
0: In jail, there definitely are affiliations. Uh, there were several, several gangs active, very active in the pod. But jail, you're not as... In, in prison, they generally keep the population separated. They keep certain gangs in certain areas as a general rule because it just makes for less violence. Um, it's easier to control the population by putting certain gangs together with their counterparts, you know? Whereas in jail, everybody's just kind of thrown it together. So in the pod that I was in, there were Gangsters Disciples, there were Gay Lords, there were Aryan Brotherhood, there were... Um, Most of the Mexican gangs, most of the gang, the gang members that were in the Mexican gangs had opted to not be filmed because of their gang affiliation. Okay. Um, but there was, there were a couple guys that were associated with Mexican gangs. Um, there were some Bloods and Crips. I mean, there there, there was a little bit of everybody. So going in there, I was in the middle of a mix and people were like, Hey, you're not from around here. What are you in for? This is your first time. Oh, you don't have any affiliations. What are you looking to do? And and I kind of got the sense just from having, you know, in the military, they say, stay in your lane. Um, don't rock the boat. Don't make waves. If it doesn't concern you, don't concern yourself with it. That's exactly how it was in jail. I My goal was to, and and I went back to the boot camp mentality. In boot camp, your goal was to graduate with nobody knowing your name. That was my goal in jail is to graduate with no one knowing my name, you know, just kind of ride my own path and not get involved in anybody else's business unless they involve me in it. And then if they did involve me in it, uh, be ready and willing to make them want me to leave them alone very quickly so that I can go back to doing my own thing. Um, But at the same time, I had I did have a goal. I did have a purpose there. I was trying to find out what's going on, so I had to kind of try to ingratiate myself with as many different factions as I could. So I kind of tried to be friend to all, uh, friend to all, enemy of none, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: get as closely involved or at least get close enough to as many people as I could to see as much as I could.
1: Some people are natural leaders and it has a lot to do with personality. Zach has a quiet demeanor and natural leadership qualities and I think this personality trait is what made him so successful while being locked up. I'm generally a calm, uh, very quiet.
0: I'm not introverted, Mm -hmm. but I'm not the guy swinging from the chandeliers either. I'm I'm sociable, but I'm not exuberant. And that's kind of you know, I, I think my personality was a big factor in why I was able to do as well as I did. Um, and, and during that time, you know, um, there were actually even so my first pod I was brand new. Didn't have a clue what was going on and just kind of had to run with what I could do, what I could to get myself in. Well, I got invited to be in a in a room and actually, the room that I got an invited, invite into, the guy that invited me into the room was a guy that I had actually called bitch.
1: Oh, yeah, I saw or, that. Earlier. That's funny. Well, probably wasn't funny yeah, for you. So. Okay, let me jump in here for a minute. If there's one thing I learned from watching prison shows and from 60 Days In, is that you never, ever, ever call another inmate bitch. If you use that word, get ready for a fight.
0: That situation was made to be a little more dramatic than it actually was in person
1: because
0: mm-hmm. um, that guy and I had a good rapport going. We had a good friendship going, I guess, um, a friendship of convenience. And I, that word just slipped out, not intentionally. Uh, we had a push-up bet going. He saw that I was working out, waited until I was literally finishing up my workout, which it was a chest workout. So I would just done 140 push-ups. And then he came over and said, hey, I need my 20 push-ups. And I was like, really, dude? <laughs> All right, whatever. And so I went and did 20 of the worst push-ups I've ever done in my life. And at the end of it, I was, um, you know, I would just finished a workout. And so that word slipped out, and they made a big deal of it. But it, in actuality, the next day, he invited me to be his roommate. Yeah. To move into the empty spot that opened up in their room moved my stuff in there, and then two hours later, literally two hours later, the guards come in and said, hey, pack your things, you're moving to the next pod. So uh, there, was, and there, was, there was more drug activity and more, more gang activity in the new pod that they were moving me to than there was in the one that I was in originally. So that's why they moved me. Okay. It wasn't anything to do with, you know, I got put in a room, we're going to move him. It just happened to happen that way.
1: Well, that's you know it, it's it's kind of how the awkward not the awkwardness the uh, uniqueness of your situation. Right, first you're in a, a prison as an experiment as a civilian. That that alone, is a remarkable situation to be in. And then have a production company trying to make a, a, a series out of it. So they had to, you know, come up with things like that drama. You know the 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 cutscenes to make it look like something was about to go down.
0: Absolutely. And and I, I will reiterate once again that they had absolutely no control over anything that happened to us once we were inside. Once we were inside, they were just watching.
1: Now, this worked out well for you, but what does this mean for weaker inmates?
0: How you present yourself, how you carry yourself, directly affected how you were treated. Hmm. If you were obviously having if you obviously had a submissive nature and were trying to curry favor then they were going to take advantage of you and and uh you know bully you but if you presented yourself as a dominant personality and gave the impression that you weren't going to take anything from anybody they kind of just left you alone that's that's what i did i i didn't walk in cocky but i didn't walk in weak either
1: God, that's got to be exhausting, you know, always trying to think about you know, how, how you have to carry yourself, or, or I guess if, yeah. it's, if it's innate, if it's in your nature, then I guess it wouldn't be, but if, it, if, it was, if you were someone that had a weakness, uh, a drugs, or maybe you just had a personality disorder, and you would have to constantly figure out the game, you know, how am I going to eat, how am I going to use the bathroom, how am I going to sleep, oh man, I wonder why people go crazy in prison. And,
0: and and I definitely, the entire time I was there, I was always cognizant in the back of my mind of I have to pay attention to how I act because it directly affects how much information I'm going to get. You know, I, I I constantly had why I was there on my mind as well as the fact that in the back of my mind the entire time was everything I do is being recorded on camera and will probably end up on national TV.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So don't do anything stupid. And I kept that in the back (laughs) the
1: entire time. There was a guy on the show who we won't name. Uh, He had a rough go at it. Zach goes into a little detail about how this guy fared behind bars.
0: His intention, he he was, at the time he was uh, pursuing law enforcement and thought it would be a good experience for him. Um... And he did not fare well because he presented himself as a target.
1: Yeah. That's what it looked Um, like from the get go. There
0: there was some, uh, friction between the two of us later on. Uh, it extended out. even after the, the project was over, um, I tried to kind of just keep myself away from it. Um, he attacked me on social media for literally over a year afterwards, um, verbally harassing me, um, posting things about me on Twitter, Facebook, etc, uh, talking about me, talking about my family, talking about my wife, Man. just all sorts of different things as of because of an analysis that I made concerning him. And I I made it rather flippantly at the time, Mm -hmm. but, uh, he had said something about wanting to be in law enforcement. And so the question was asked of the sheriff, Hey, would you, what do you think about his possibilities of being in law enforcement? And the sheriff said, if that's something that he desires to do, the sheriff gave a very political answer. If he wants to do that, by all means, pursue it. Um, More power to him. The other officer that was there said, uh, I say, I don't think it's for you. My answer to the question was, if I was in a situation where I had to call for backup and you showed up, I would call for extra backup. (laughs) Because I wouldn't trust you to handle me or my back. You know? Sure. Well, he took offense to that. And, it, it, but I mean, the way he presented himself in the situation where he got into a physical altercation, instead of, I mean, he he made himself an easy target for a guy that was a hundred pounds smaller than him, mm-hmm. and didn't, you know, I mean, he, he just he they they talk about. talk about soft targeting and hard targeting yeah i was a target he was a soft target oh yeah
1: well he i i come from a uh an extensive martial arts background wrestling uh boxing and i that uh, the one scene where he got hit and there was a fight i was i was so mad that he had no absolutely no uh sense of what's that um is that that military word we always say uh uh Situational awareness. I mean, he had no skills, yeah. nothing. I saw him kind of wave his arms around and, and and put his back to the guy. And I'm like, what are you doing? You yeah, did everything he his, you're not supposed to do.
0: <laughs> like, basically almost went into the fetal position. Yeah,
1: yeah. What do you do after you're aired on TV as an informant? Do you go into hiding? Do you fear for your life? Or do you keep in touch with your fellow inmates?
0: You know, initially there was a concern first year a little over a year you couldn't find me I even had actually a detective from a department was trying to get in touch with me Mm -hmm. and he wasn't able to find me until the second season started airing and my wife was shown and he found me through finding my wife getting connected to my wife and then connecting to me was the only way he found me he said hey you did it." heck of a job hiding yourself because <laughs> i tried every way possible to get a hold of you and I'm a detective with a law enforcement agency and all the way I found you was because your wife let me in. Wow. Basically. So, once I got past that, I wound up, <clears throat> you know, after that first year out, nothing was happening and with me being approximately 2,000 miles away now, yeah, people can fly, but honestly, I'm, I'm a blip on their radar. Barely. Yeah. At this point, you know they've got. I mean, most of the guys that would have beef with me were on the way for attempted murder charges or manslaughter charges mm-hmm. or serious time. So they're in prison. So I don't really have to worry about it. Yeah. At least not now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of the big thoughts I was having was how uh, how you would fare afterwards. Did you? Did you ever keep in touch with that former Marine? Uh, I think his name was Brian. Yeah, I do. Okay.
0: He actually gives motivational speeches now. Oh, nice. Um, He has worked very hard on turning his life around. He has been clean and sober for several months, possibly even a a little over a year now, actually, I think. And he has committed himself to staying clean and sober and doing what he can to make his life better. And to make the world a better place now by giving speeches and giving talks to kids who may be going down the wrong path.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's good news because uh, um, you know when I heard or at least whatever story that the show put out, you kind of felt for the guy. Plus, I think I think at one point it might have been him. He got he got uh, tuned up, uh, tuned up a little bit, uh, some sort of fight. Yes, uh,
0: he got jumped for because I thought he was a snitch. That's right. It had nothing to do with me. Didn't have any. With any of the information I gave, there was a there was a, uh, a thought process on social media, I guess, that maybe he got jumped because of stuff that I had turned in. Okay, but that was actually not the case. He got because he had actually, you know, he, he got caught in a lie. He got caught in in doing some things or, or trying to play both sides of a couple of factions in the jail, and they caught him and they beat him up for it. Yeah.
1: I guess it's yeah.
0: it's one of the, one of those things. was about staying in your lane. Don't, yeah. if it doesn't concern you, don't concern yourself with it. And he concerned himself with some things that he shouldn't have, and it wound up biting him later. But yeah. you know, it is what it is.
1: What's in your future? Is it law enforcement? Is it working with veterans? What did sixty days in the TV show uh, open up for you as far as opportunities go?
0: so as far as public speaking goes any of that uh it's definitely something that i i haven't pursued it uh actually my wife has she has done a few speaking engagements now and has more scheduled in the future uh my wife is actually writing a book um concerning her life story and all of that Mm -hmm. and, and all of her struggles um writing a book is not something that I've really considered as of yet because I for me, I don't think of myself that way. I don't, I mean, my life is, in my mind, my life is boring. Uh, um, not to say that I don't enjoy my life. It's happy. It's just, I don't see anything spectacular enough about it to write a book about it. Um, as far as public speaking goes, I, I don't I am open to public speaking. Uh, I actually spoke at a benefit dinner for the sheriff for just a few short minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've done a couple other public speaking engagements. It's not really something that I'm actively pursuing because I don't feel like it's the place that I can make the most difference. Um, What I am interested in is in pursuing is helping veterans who are dealing with uh, PTSD and issues stemming from, uh, you know, stemming from their combat experiences, from their from their military experience. Uh, the guys that fall through the cracks, you know, there were several veterans there in jail with me that, for whatever reason, they're basically self medicating uh, with drugs. And they weren't getting the help they needed elsewhere, so they turned to somewhere that helped them forget about the problems that they were having, mm-hmm. helped them forget about the things that they had seen. So that's something that I've looked at. Um, you know, I've lost, <clears throat> while I was deployed, there were, uh, I was directly involved, like two of the guys that I was closely associated with were KIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, since coming back, there have been, uh, more than double that number of guys that I served with who didn't die from the war, but they died from the war at their own hand, mm-hmm. you know? So that's something that's very near and dear to my heart is helping guys who have those issues that they're trying to deal with and, and are struggling with that, that that's, that's what I've sought to help. Um, I'm actually working on a project right now that's focusing on how veterans are transitioning back to civilian life and different uh, different programs and avenues that help them transition back to civilian life. Um, and I've done some fundraisers for some of the organizations that are trying to help with uh, trying to help prevent veteran suicides and trying to just basically be that extra hand you know the the VA is a government organization and it's understaffed and underpaid and overworked and over flooded with people who need help and there's just not enough and there's so much bureaucracy and bureaucracy and red tape that they have to go through to get the help they need that so many guys fall through the cracks so there's got to be other methods, other avenues to step in and fill those gaps. And that's kind of what I'm trying to focus on. Uh which in the past six months to a year, it's it's still something that I'm very passionate about. It's something that has taken a little bit of a backseat to my family in the past year, just because, you know, my family is first and foremost and with two kids under two at the time, you know, it's, there's not, you know how it is. There's not a whole (laughs) lot of time for nope. Under other other than, other than taking care of your own family. But as far as platforms Mm -hmm. or, or things that I'm trying to affect change, uh, I, I hate it. It crushes me when guys that I served with made it through all this stuff that we made it through and then come home and can't, can't survive. And, you know, it's something that I've, as you know, you, with you being a, a combat veteran yourself, health, you know, a veteran who served in war in, in overseas, mm-hmm. you know how difficult that transition back to the civilian sector is. And, and I mean, even, even if you never served in combat, the transition from a military lifestyle to civilian world is, is huge, and it is, it's something that's difficult, and it's something that there's not, enough, uh, there's not enough help. There's not enough assistance
1: in that area,
0: I don't believe. Luckily, I have a very strong support system around me. I have my family, uh, my extended family, um, and me and three of the guys that I deployed with got a house together when we got back so we kind of all helped each other through for the first year and a half after we got back Mm -hmm. we kind of helped each other to deal with our issues and it's not to say that we found any perfect system or anything but we learned what worked for us and what didn't work for us and and, you know it is what it is everybody's got their different things at work but that's that's kind of what i'm i'm that's that's what i'm trying to help
1: well you have like, like i was saying nowadays there's the ears are there, you know, 30 years ago, it would be very difficult to reach a lot of people. I mean, you could, the legwork would be a lot more intensive. Um, There's so many opportunities out there. I mean, a guy like me who has a, uh, I don't know, what do you even call this? A a show website that I can reach, you know, 10,000 people every two weeks. I mean, it's out there, the ability's out there. Uh, and and definitely keep that in your your crosshairs because it's um, especially with an important message like that. Uh, and people listen. I mean, you you speak well. Uh, you got a, an interesting story, despite whether you think so or not. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think I think you can find an audience uh, pretty easily, especially when you're that focused. When you're focused on something like that. So
0: that's right. I appreciate that. Hey,
1: no problem. Well, Zach, is there a place that people can can find yet, at, or usually I, I let people plug a website or, or whatever they have going on. Um, sure.
0: Oh, uh, um, if you want to just follow me just for general purposes, I have an Instagram account. Uh, it's just Zachary Baker, 85. Uh, most of what you'll see on there is, uh, Jim and my sons playing. Uh, so just basic generic stuff. But if you are interested in contacting me, uh, that would probably be the best avenue to contact me. Um, and then from there, you know, I I said there's a couple projects that I'm working on that haven't come to fruition yet, but hopefully those will be wrapping up in the next six months to a year, and you should see something with me involved um, sometime in the very near future concerning veterans transitioning. So hopefully that'll that'll like I said hopefully that'll get, that'll get wrapped that project will get wrapped up in the next year. Or so it's 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 been something that we've been working on when schedules allow. Yeah. So there's a moving parts, but cool. Uh, as far as if you know if if anyone is interested in uh, contacting me for speaking engagements or whatever, call me up. If I'm available, I'll do my best to make it.
1: All right cool and um once you get into uh or once that starts coming into fruition give me a give me a call or send me a note we'll we'll get you back on and and talk about that because uh, again interesting story and, and i'd love to have you back on again
0: yeah absolutely it was my pleasure
1: all right thanks man thanks for your time i uh, really appreciate it um good luck with the kids
0: <laughs> thanks Kevin. i appreciate it it was a pleasure talking to you and uh best of luck thank with you the, uh the uh,
1: show thank you take care Like us on Facebook.com slash WWI Podcast and at WWI Podcast on Twitter. Drop us a line at WaitSWhatIfPodcast at Yahoo.com. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Internet Radio. Now go forth and expand your reality.